1972, a crack commando unit was sent to a liturgical prison by a canonical court for a crime they didn't commit. These men promptly escaped from maximum security diocesan stockade to the ecclesial underground. Today, still wanted by the Vatican, they survive as soldiers of fortune. If you have a problem, if no one else can help, and if you can find them, then you should listen to Libra Cristo War College. Wednesday War College, Jess Romero. We're waiting for Kyle Clement. He should be on in a couple of minutes. We're going to be talking uh, about uh, the Feast of the Holy Innocents. And uh, the Feast of the Holy Innocents is a relevant feast day today. I'll tell you why. Because we have our own King Herod here in the United States. Let me give you a little backdrop of uh, the Feast of the Holy Innocents. <clears throat> today is the day that as Catholics, we... Uh, we commemorate, we celebrate this feast day because we remember Herod, the King Herod the Great. He'd been elected the King of the Jews by the Roman Senate right around 40, uh, 40 BC. And when the Magi told him of the birth of a new King of the Jews, Herod could think of nothing but eliminating the threat to his throne. That's all he cared about. He was an absolute narcissist. And so the Holy Innocents are those children who were brutally murdered by King Herod or at the request of King Herod by his thugs as they sought to eliminate the Christ child that was to be born. And so by virtue of their martyrdom, they attained baptismal innocence and in anticipation of the blood of Jesus, which cleanses us from all sin. The child who escaped but would one day embrace the cross is the expiation for our sins and not for our sins only, but for those of the whole world. <clears throat> and in Jesus, uh, we find all our innocence and our righteousness in him alone. So again, today we celebrate the feast day of the Holy Innocence, which commemorates the death of the male children in Bethlehem who were two years of age or under King Herod, the wicked, had ordered this in order to ensure that the infant Messiah sought by the Magi would be enabled to displace him on his throne. And so on, on this day, we're reminded as well that all lives are precious and it's our responsibility to protect every life from the moment of conception to natural death. <coughs> Sorry about that. But what, what today's feast day also reminds me of... Oh, I've got a speaker on. Hold on. Let me see what I have on over here. Yeah, I've got. Oh, yeah, I got feedback. Okay, should be off. Uh, yeah, we're waiting for Kyle Clement. He should be on any minute now. We have our. Uh, Kyle, welcome to the uh, Wednesday War College, my friend. Kyle, are you on? I'll wait till uh, he acknowledges me. Hello, Jesse. Can you hear me? I can hear you perfect. Welcome Excellent. to Wednesday War College. Hey, um, good morning. Good morning. Talk to us a little bit about uh, the feast day of the Holy Innocents in relation to spiritual warfare. And I just want to make a comment. I, I think we have our own King Herod in the White House. His name's Joe Biden. Because just like uh, King Herod 2,000 years ago, again, he ordered the, the killing of, <clears throat> of every uh, Jewish boy in Bethlehem that was two years of age and under. We have, through executive order, an apostate Catholic president 
who is uh, much like King Herod, but a lot worse because through the power of his pen, he's consigning uh, many more people, many more babies to die than King Herod could have possibly uh, uh, killed in in his day and age. Uh, What would you say about today's feast day? Some some takeaways that we can learn as Catholics from the Feast of the Holy Innocents. Oh, Jesse, it's a it's a wonderful, sublime, very sublime, very deep, profound topic. Um, I think that we do well uh, always to look at everything from a cosmic perspective in light of a liturgical lens. And so the ancients uh, and the church fathers knew this, and so traditionally you see this movement uh, where immediately following the nativity, we see what it is to be Christ, what it is to be conformed to the nativity, what it is to be conformed to he who became flesh and dwelt among us. And so the first feast day following the celebration of the nativity of our Lord um, on the 25th is going to be St. Stephen on the 26th. Now, I want to go back just a second and pick up something. Um, Our masculine ears, we have a built-in BS meter. We're attuned to it. We know things um, as men, just just masculine common sense. It's not that women do not have it. It's just that we see the world and the cosmos and the machinations of the world differently. I'll give you a prime example. I sat at a homily um, to celebrate the nativity of our Lord and listen to a formed modernist priest speak about how we took a, the Christians took a pagan holiday and converted it. Um, and so anything that the pagans celebrate or non-Christians celebrate in a spiritual sense has in fact God as its author, they're simply seeing not clearly or they're under diabolical influence. So it's not that the, the pagans originated the holiday, it's that they may have mislabeled um, the significance of three days after the winter solstice. You can go as deep into this as you want, but ultimately for the Christian, the nativity is very simple. This is not a date that was picked arbitrarily. This was not anything uh, to corrupt or convert a Satan holiday or a satanic holiday. It's just very simply nine months after the Annunciation. The Annunciation was set, and and it was always set in tradition. It has a, a linking to the solstice. Who created the sun that cycles and gives us the solstice? God the Father. God the Father who flung the stars across the sky, who does nothing randomly. These patterns were discernible by those who did not know and did not recognize him in his true form, in the same way that Plato, um, Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle, that progression, though they spoke of virtue and they spoke of many things, they, they lacked the light of Christ, which fully illuminates. And so the 26th is the first, uh, what is it to be conformed to the nativity of our Lord, to, to cry glory to God in the highest? What is that? St. Stephen, first martyr. Hmm. Now, St. Stephen, St. Stephen is uh is the perfect martyr what do i mean by that it's a perfection in what you see in the scenario so martyr the um evolution of the word martyr or the development of the word martyr goes back to a greek root that means witness 
to bear witness. And so by testimony and or by life. So one of the best discourses in salvation history, which should be the template for all apologetics, is um, St. Stephen's discourse prior to his martyrdom. Hmm. His last words are are like those. You hear echoes of it in um, Miguel Pro. You hear echoes of it um, in John Christostom. You hear echoes of it in all the martyrs who are given an opportunity uh, to speak in defense of our Lord. And so Stephen, St. Alphonsus, um, Valerie brought me a, a reflection this morning, and, and we were discussing about St. Alphonsus writes about these three feast days the 26th, the 27th, and the 28th. And he, he says of St. Stephen, the first martyr is the prototype martyr, and it's the perfect martyrdom, meaning the complete martyrdom, because it is a martyrdom of both will and act. Hmm. Stephen is a martyr. He is a martyr in his will. He gives testimony, unflinching testimony to Christ, and the act he, throughout the act of martyrdom, uh, he remains resolute in his will. And so the act is consistent with the will, um, and you, you see the, uh, the perfect prototype. Now, the next day, yesterday, was St. John the Evangelist. <clears throat> a, little, a little sidebar from the you-can't-make-this-up file. Now, I think you may appreciate this from a, from a scriptural standpoint. St. John is the only one of the apostles who is not killed, who is not um, physically martyred, who doesn't die uh, for his relationship to Christ. Now, they tried to kill him many times. They tried to boil him in oil. They tried to ground him. They tried to starve him to death. But so miraculous was he, miraculously was he saved from each one of these events that they eventually said, we must exile him to Potmos, and otherwise we can't stand the publicity. <laughs> he was mm. he was converting. He was <laughs> he was an object of great conversion, and and, and so uh, Saint John is uh, martyrdom of the will. His his will was constant to die with and for our Lord, yet he dies of old age. That makes sense. Yeah. That makes complete sense. So, so, Jesse, do you know why he dies of old age? Um, well, obviously God willed it. Um, I, I'm guessing here, I'm going to take a stab at it. Because he's the, oh, he didn't die a martyr, I'm going to guess, because he's the only apostle that didn't abandon Jesus at the cross. In fact, he was there with Our Lady underneath the cross. All the other ten apostles at that point abandoned him. So all the other ten... Uh, coincidentally, they all died martyrs' death except John, who was with Our Lady. I just took a stab at it. Oh no, this is it's it's excellent. This is this is the masculine common sense that I'm talking about. There's a pattern there. There's a rationale. There's a logic. And so, in fact, when he says to John, "Behold your mother," and he says to Mary, uh, "Behold I hear the music. your son," John, hold up, hold that thought. All right, hold, good stuff. Good stuff. This is a good. A teaser here for the next segment. You're listening to Wednesday War College. Jess Romero, Colin Clement, talking about Saint John the Apostle, and uh, and and his, the some of the feast days in the octave of Christmas. We'll be right back.
Wednesday War College. Happy Feast Day of the Holy Innocents. We're here with Jess Romero, Kyle Clement, thank, talking about St. John the Apostle, the Feast Day of the Holy Innocents, and uh, we'll be broaching many other topics. Kylie, you left us uh, with a cliffhanger. Uh, you're, you're talking about uh, right before the break. Can you continue with your thoughts? Oh, yeah, Jesse. And so this is from the You Can't Make This Up file. We are standing at the foot of the cross, the Blessed Mother and St. John, uh, supporting first and foremost our Lord and then each other. Um, St. John uh, epitomizing suffering and the Blessed Mother epitomizing sorrow. Um, and Jesus says from the cross, uh, behold your mother and behold your son. In that mo- and, and in that moment, she went, John took her into his house, and she, he was the caregiver for Mary for the rest of her earthly life. Now, this is from the You Can't Make This Up. God honors his promises. What is the only commandment which has with it a promise? There's only one of the Ten Commandments. It is the bridge commandment, which has a promise. Do you know which one it is? Honor your father and your mother. And it says something like, you'll have long life or something like that right after that, right? Exactly. And you shall live long in the land. And that there, there we see the functional theology of that promise played out in John the Apostle. Ah, oh, I like that. That's a good connection. Very good connection. Hey, let me ask you something else about John the Apostle. He, he obviously he gave us the Gospel of John, the prologue. I know the prologue is in the rite of exorcism. It's I think it's in chapter three or chapter two, one of the one of those, and it's used in a, in a solemn session. What? Why is that prayer used, or John chapter one verses one to fourteen? Why is it used in a solemn session? What is its spiritual warfare power over a demon? I mean, why is it that the demon? Uh, what's what's what? What is it? about those 14 verses that, that wreaks havoc upon a demon? Well, it's a very, very good question. Again, this is functional theology. And so if as we're going through prayer theology and we're going through various elements of how prayers are constructed, um, and, and the spiritual warfare prayers, most all of them have at least one section involving a specific uh, invocation of the members of the Trinity in specific personalities or names, um, such as in chapter two, it'll say the spotless lamb can command you, God, the father commands you. Um, and, and so these various commandings and names hearken back to the demon's relationship to God before the fall, during the fall and after the fall, which is the ultimate defeat. Uh, of the demon. So it calls to mind exactly who he is, creature, uh, in relation to creator, and exactly who the creator is. There's another phrase in the second chapter of the exorcism that says, he who created you ex nihilo, out of nothing. Out of nothing he brought you, into nothing you will return. And so this this is um, an admonition to um, that non-corporal being that his fate post-death is much, much different than the human fate post-death. But it's this imagery of victory, this imagery, and then what brings such power to John's gospel, it is the second creation account, if you listen to the language. It is the oh, yeah, second right. creation yeah. account, yes. which puts emphasis on the spiritual. In the beginning was the Word. And the word was with God and the word was God and nothing came to be without him. 
And so this is that bringing back from a spiritual context the Annunciation, that, that Christ was always there. And then when God speaks, the, the intangible, the unseen God of thought, of faith, becomes the God of word, of hope, when he speaks. And if you look at the Hebrew creation account, this speak is a, this word used, and God spoke, and it was. This is a very, very important word, um, because it's bringing out of nothing that which is something. Uh, not only that which is something, but that which is first and foremost divine. This word is corrupted by the common mu, uh, magician when he intones abracadabra. Ah. Abracadabra is straight out of the Psalms. He spoke and it was. Mm. So John chapter 1 verses 1 to 14, it just, it just like all the spiritual warfare prayers, it's... It, it's reminding the demons of their the fact that again they're just contingent beings are dependent upon God. God is independent. God is sovereign. Again, it's a second creation account, and so uh, it, it it portrays the imagery as as the priest says that John chapter one verse four, the imagery of victory, the victory that Christ uh, always was, always will be, and, and uh, you know always is and always will be, and the demons are just contingent beings. Uh, you know, at at uh, at the beckoning whim of Christ until He comes back at the second coming. So that that's that, that, that all of that's encompassed in John chapter one verse one to fourteen, right? It absolutely is. And then the light and dark imagery is very very important because it talks about. And you're right, contingent being um, they are defined by the Creator, and when they take themselves by a free will act out of right relationship with the Creator then they're denying themselves of any benefit of that relationship, and there can be no restoration. Um, and so the prologue to John's gospel, heard by a human, is, uh, is a sign of hope because it focuses on the Christ and the hope of conforming ourselves to these absolute truths. But for the demon, it's a death sentence. It's literally ah, a de- damnation like sentence. That makes sense for yeah for yeah it is a sign of hope but I because when I hear John chapter one verse one fourteen after the end of the Latin Mass I love it it's just like yes you know uh, I know I'm part of Team Victory but you're right for the other guys it's uh, you you said it's 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 a message of what of just it's a sentence of damnation it's a it's a death sentence it is uh, it is the proclamation of what they're going to hear at eternal judgment at and final judgment. Hey, uh, Kyle, I want to just ask you a little bit about, there was something that happened in Texas, uh, you know, you, uh, you were born and raised in Texas, I guess, as, as a child, so you have, I'm sure you're endeared to Texas, uh, but I want you to just comment on this, uh, there was an uh, alleged killing of a Texas girl by a FedEx driver, which uh, obviously has raised concerns all over the country with FedEx drivers, it's a seven-year-old girl named Athena Strand, her body was found by a uh, by Wise County Sheriff Lane Aiken uh, back in a couple of weeks ago, December 2nd. And the Texas community is obviously grieving over this, uh, the death of the seven-year-old girl that was abducted from her home and killed by a contract FedEx driver who confessed to the crimes. Um, her picture's on the article that I'm looking at right now, a cute little girl, and uh, the, the picture of the monsters right there as well. Um, you have any thoughts on this? Any This seems to be this... This, this craving for children, human sex trafficking, 
child killing, abortion, uh, you know, all, all things, you know, uh, dismembered children's body parts. What is this incredible spike in this attack on children happening around the country? This is a microcosm of a macro problem. Any comments? I think, no, you're exactly right, Jesse. I want to go back and pick up a couple of threads and then we'll, we'll come forward. But you're, when you started with your description that um, the current president is, um, is a depiction or a, Herod. Uh, effigy, effigy of Herod, you're exactly right. Um, child sacrifice, this is one of the things that the House of Herod was involved in, as well as the Romans, um, ex- socially acceptable pedophilia, etc. cetera. Um, and so what is the commonality here is innocence. If you will uh, simply look at those uh, two pictures, yeah, what you're seeing, what draws you to the girl is innocence. Mm-hmm. What repulses you from the man is perversity. Yes. Now reverse those roles. If you do not, if you only desire power, then she becomes an instrument. He becomes someone you can identify with or you can manipulate. Very simply, he has a vote. She does not. Hmm. He, he has a voice. She does not. But the innocents among us are, are the conscience. Um, they are the conscience of the culture, even as much as Catholics. It's simply because before the age of reason, the natural law is operative, and a child knows what's right and what's wrong. They inherently know this before they begin to lose that, that pure perspective. So the death of the holy innocence that we separate, celebrate today, uh, that the death, that this feast day, they are considered martyrs of, of act because simply by being who they were, where they were, they were killed because they were a threat to the status quo or to the perverse government, which was Herod. If you go completely into the House of Herod, they do not have a legitimate claim to uh, the monarchy uh, of Israel at the time. They are there because they are friends with Romans. They have a link to the Hasmonean dynasty, but they are neither Davidic nor are they of Saul's mind. They do not have any legitimate claim uh, to the throne. And so they're there as a poser. They're there as an imposter. Hmm. They're there and, and innocence, that which recognizes the truth, is always going to be a constant threat to these people. Just like this little girl was, Athena Strand, just a constant, was, constant, yeah. Yeah, so if you read into it, if you really read into it, she was killed for the truth that she may have said. Um, she was killed because she knew something. She was killed because he was afraid of her. Hmm. Interesting. Oh gosh. I just want, I just uh, feel like we need to pray for Athena. Name of the Father, Son of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Eternal rest grant to Athena Strand, O Lord, and let your perpetual light shine upon her. May the soul of Athena Strand through the mercy of God rest in peace. Amen. Name of the Father, Son of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Now, Jesse, let's add to it that, that, that the, the real, which one of these souls, as you're looking at that picture, of yep. those two pictures, which one of these souls is in the most peril? 
Uh, the obviously the killer, Tanner Lynn Horn. Precisely. Uh, yep. Precisely. May he have an Alejandro experience. Alejandro, murderer of Maria Goretti. Pray for this man. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. He, he yeah he could be another this Alejandro. Is, You're right. This is how you turn this inside out. Because right now, what's happening in this country is all the Alessandros who aborted child after child after child, all the Alessandros who drove their girlfriends for abortions, all of the practitioners, all of the advocates, those with any modicum of conscience left are becoming pricked in their conscience. And we're seeing people come forward and say, this is, this is horrible. This is what you think it is. This is child sacrifice. And so all of these Alessandro moments, all of these prayers, if you remember, Alessandro, Maria Goretti's murderer, stood next to his mother at her canonization. That's right. We'll be right back uh, with Kyle Clement, Jess Romero, Wednesday War College. Stick around. Don't go anywhere. Happy Feast of the Holy Innocents. Uh, and uh, we got Kyle Clement, uh, myself, uh, Wednesday War College. We're talking about all things spiritual warfare. Kyle, you're making some passing thoughts about Alessandro, the killer of Maria Goretti. And uh, this guy could be, if, you know, if, if this guy opens himself up to the prayers that are being offered for him, uh, this, uh, this killer, Tanner Lynn Horner, uh, he could be another uh, Alessandro if again, if he cooperates with the grace of God, as people are praying for him, probably around the country, maybe his family members as well. But uh, yeah, this little girl Athena, she's definitely a Maria Goretti. Uh, you're making some comments. Uh, you want to go ahead and continue? Yes, just that our prayers. Please continue to focus your prayers on the practitioners, these these souls in the most peril, because it is through these conversions of those practitioners of uh, Satanism, abortion. Uh, child abuse on whole scale pedophilia it is these conversions that speak the most and speak the loudest the prayers of the martyrs are always first and foremost for those who kill them this is our lord speaking from the cross father forgive them for for they know not what they do um this is one of the the most powerful prayers um we get caught up oftentimes i'm not discounting um, the horror of the murder of a child, but the horror that is done to the soul, uh, the murderers um, that they do to their own souls. Um, we're seeing more and more doctors and others who have performed these procedures, particularly women, because this is against their very nature. It's against their very nature to kill. Their, their nature is to bring forth life. And this was the whole point uh, of comparing to Herod is these these particular set of spirits are consumers. They're destroyers. They can create nothing. All they can do is destroy. But this is how God always wins is God has the power to to procreate, to, to recreate, to create. And that is limited 
to God, and it is through Christ the Son, back to John's prologue, um, and nothing came to be that came to be without him. The demon can't bring anything to be, um, darkness being the absence of light. You can't turn on the dark. Um, you can simply diminish the light, uh, but the darkness cannot overcome it. One candle speaks in a sea of darkness. Uh, and, and I think that that's the point that we, we can't lose hope, we can't despair, because um, these are sins against the second person of the Trinity, uh, these sins of despair and of hope. We, we have to always keep sight of, um, leave no soul behind, especially those that are the most wounded, those that are the most, um, most in peril, and that's the terminology we use. Oftentimes, you come into a home that's engaged in spiritual warfare, and you have to to figure out, okay, what is the soul in the most peril? Immediately we go to the abuser, uh, the one being abused, when in fact often the abuser is the soul in the most peril. Got it. Hey, Kyle, uh, how can people get a hold of you uh, to uh, to be participate in some of your apostolic works? Uh, how do they oh. uh, how do they how do they track you down? Well, thank you very much. Let me tell you a few things that we're doing. Um, so what you heard at the beginning of this, the discussion on the feast days and um, martyrs of will, martyrs of act, martyrs of act and will, and, and this kind of cosmic reflection, um, this is part of what we call reclamation theology. Now, there's a series of reclamation theology retreats coming up. Uh, you, they can be attended in person with a priest to offer the traditional mass daily with confessions and spiritual direction. They can also be attended via Zoom. And if you're interested in those, go to www.montecristo.net or email them at info at montecristo.net. Um, there are trainings, Liber, Liber Cristo methodology trainings for exorcists, for uh, mental health professionals, uh, for general practitioner priests. These are happening. Uh, you can get more information at, at the Monte Cristo website. There is uh, new um, YouTubes and videos on both Liber Cristo, L-I-B-E-R-C-H-R-I-S-T-O dot org and Monte Cristo, M-O-N-T-E-C-H-R-I-S-T-O dot net. Those are free. You can exhaust those. Then we're going to have Father Ripperger is going to present three retreats this summer in Wyoming, a father-son, a mother-daughter, and a young married. Um, all of information on that is at montecristo.net, but all of those are open also to, you can give those as gifts, those retreats as gifts. You can sponsor priests in the exorcist training. You can sponsor priests in the general practitioner training. We have many priests um, who are wanting to attend these trainings that either do not have diocesan funding for these trainings or they're third world priests um, who need uh, help being able to attend these trainings. These trainings are taught by uh, Father Ripperger. He is the presenter at the exorcist training and the mental health professionals training. He's the, the main primary speaker. I will assist. And then the mental health professional training, which is a weekend, I would highly encourage uh, anyone who is associated with spiritual warfare in any way um, and in the mental health field 
to try to attend this. It, it goes into Thomistic psychology and the understanding of the human person, the way that demons interact and, and the ability to, to ferret out, uh, if you will, methodically and objectively, the difference between psychological issues, mental health issues, and diabolical activity, and where and how those interface. We'll have several of our society uh, psychiatrists and psychologists presenting who work in this field uh, daily. Um, particular advances have been made in, in the treatment of satanic ritualistic abuse victims and child trafficking victims, et cetera, which we know it's, this, is, it's not, this is not necessarily on the rise, but it's becoming uncovered. Um, okay. it, it's like you're, and I think that's important for us to realize is it's becoming more out in the open. So that's what we've got going kind of in a nutshell. Please go to those websites for more information. Uh, and if you'd like to participate. Good stuff. Thanks, Kyle. Uh, hey, let me, let me, uh, let me get right to page 44 on Father Ripperger's book, Deliverance Prayers for the Lady, page 44. There's a prayer, it's called Consecration of One's Exterior Goods to the Blessed Virgin. Uh, and you can see that a lot of this is St. Louis de Montfort language that's being used. Tell us how we use that prayer. Is it imprecatory, deprecatory, and what's the theology behind that prayer? All right. Um, Jesse, I had an email on on one they emailed directly um about a word on a prayer in third on page 39 you want me to hit that right a- quick and then go yeah, to this yeah page 39 uh okay what prayer okay. is that perimeter well, prayer right perimeter prayer about two-thirds of the way down it says i ask that no demonic bondage door portrait demonic entity portal astral projection or disembodied spirit may enter within a space of 100 yards and when we went through this prayer, uh, evidently someone uh, wants to know the definition of portron, P-O-R-T-R-O-N. Okay. And I've gotten this question before, so I thought it'd be good to clear it up. So yeah. very simply, this is not a misprint. It's not a misprint. It's not archaic language. This describes a demon that is sent to guard a portal. And so mm-hmm. he is a portron, portal, uh, tron, entity assigned to that portal and so he is he's a guard um and so that's what his job is that's what he does and it's to keep the portal open um and he's relegated to that location so that should answer hopefully that answers that question uh yeah all right <laughs> that, that clears it up for me yeah okay. I, I, uh, yeah to so me he, i i'd read it before it's uh I, I read that it was something having to do with a door and guarding a door so i just Went to the dictionary to look that up a while back ago. But yeah. Good, uh, good, good. So what, uh, on page 44, this, this kind of this St. Louis de Montfort prayer, uh, you can see, the, 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 at least it has a principle in St. Louis de Montfort. What can you tell us about the theology of this prayer? So the theology of this prayer is interesting. There's an overarching concept that um, in order for oppression to be present, there has to be attachment. Um, in other words, you have to care about the object being oppressed. If you don't care about it, if you're, if you're not attached, this is one of the primary, um, this is one of the primary defenses against, uh, oppression. Think of it this way. Think of two little kids on the playground. One's got a ball. If 
the bully comes up and grabs the ball, um, then the, the other is going to respond one of two ways. Um, I don't care. I just got the ball out of the bucket. I can go get another one. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, my grandmother gave me that ball. It's really important to me. Now the bully has leverage. You see how that works? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so he, prayers, yeah, in order prayers, go ahead. No, no, no. You're, the, the, the first of all is, the, is this principle, this universal principle, that in order for something to be subject to oppression, there has to be attachment. Yeah, makes sense. So if you make my, if you steal my car and I don't care, I, I don't need that car, I don't think I have to have that car, it's going to have a lot less impact than if I'm totally dependent upon that car to get me to work, to feed my children. Yes. Gotcha. So this, that's good. That universal principle needs to be understood because that's what's operative here when it says, I, my name, a faithless sinner. So you can't do this for someone else. You can't consecrate someone else's goods. They have to be your goods. So there, there's that element of authority is they, they have to be your goods to consecrate. You can't consecrate the goods of someone else. I, a faithless sinner, renew and ratify in thy name the vows of my baptism. Now listen to this language. We're calling upon the baptismal language in order to consecrate. Why do you think we're doing that? Hold that thought, Kyle. Hold that thought. Wednesday War College coming to a hard break. We'll continue talking about uh, the theology of this prayer, consecration of one's exterior goods to the Blessed Mother. Stick around. Good stuff. We'll be right back. Wednesday War College, The Theology of Prayer, Deliverance Prayers for Use by the Lady, a book written by Father Chad Ripperger. We got Kyle Clement on. He's explaining to us. Kyle had his hands in this book as well. This is why Kyle knows exactly why these prayers were handpicked and how to use them. Kyle, go ahead. So in this consecration language, in this consecration prayer, we go immediately to the imagery of the baptism. And so why do you suppose uh, we do that. Why do you suppose? Because these other prayers, we haven't even talked about uh, baptism and the baptismal promises um, in these other prayers. So why do you suppose we, we go to baptism there in a consecration prayer? Well, I think because baptism, there's a whole lot of things that uh, you're incorporated into the body of Christ. Uh, you, you, you receive divine sonship. You receive sanctifying grace. You move from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. There's a whole lot that occurs in baptism that uh, takes you from uh, the, the state of being a son of Adam to a son of God. Uh, and so I, 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 I think this is a, why baptism is uh, heavily invoked in this prayer, because uh, that's the sacrament that, that brings you into, again, to the mystical body of Christ. Precisely. And so it is, it is consecration language in and of itself. Baptism is a consecration, consecration being defined as the setting aside um the the setting aside for a particular purpose the recognition of a sovereignty the recognition of of right ownership our our rights of disposition and so you'll hear father talk about in the power and authority 
um, one of the things of natural law is you have to have the rights of disposition. And so in this consecration prayer, you're essentially giving back to God what God has given you. Um, and you're acknowledging that you are at best a steward. Um, there's no true ownership here. And so I renounce forever Satan, his pomps and works, and I give myself entirely to Jesus Christ, incarnate wisdom, to carry my cross after him all the days of my life. So here again, we've got the, the use of the word Jesus Christ together. Um, it's very important, and I'd, I'd really like to hear, uh, Jesse, you do a great job with this in Scripture study, where St. Paul, he will use the term Jesus Christ, he will use the term Christ Jesus, he will use the term Christ without the, the proper name Jesus, he will use Jesus without the, the moniker, uh, the title of the Christ. All of these things are very, very important, and each usage has a particular um, uh focal point it, it has a it's it's like many facets or faces of a gym same gym but but different focal points and so that's a that's an area i'd like to someone with much more scripture knowledge than i to go into uh, but here we've got the name at which every knee shall bend jesus and then christ his role the anointed victim the the sacrificial victim and then immediately to carry my cross after him all the days of my life and to be more faithful to him than I have ever uh, been before. So this is that um, re-upping, uh, renouncing Satan and joining ourselves to the Christ. It's interesting in praying this prayer, what happens is you begin to, it changes you. First and foremost, it changes you to realize that this thing that I'm attached to isn't is not in fact mine. Um, it's a gift. It's it's mine by providence or mine to the dis- rights of disposition are mine by providence, but ultimately they are not solely mine. I act in the name and consistent with uh, my relationship with Jesus Christ, not Satan. In the presence of all the heavenly court, now you're calling the witnesses, I choose thee, O Mary, this day for my mother and mistress. This is a very important thing, is is our Lord and our Lady, the the two of those together. It was tradition that when a child was baptized, the first place he went uh, in the arms of his mother, the smell of the chrism oil still in his hair. The first place he went was to the statue of the Blessed Mother, and there he was consecrated to her. Do you still see this happening modernly? I don't think we see it as much. No. Yeah, you're right. And so I know that all of our children, I'm, I'd, I'd be, I would be willing to bet that all of your children. The day they were baptized, all our grandchildren were immediately taken to the Marian niche or the place of the uh, an image of the Blessed Mother, and there yeah. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. a consecration form was read. Yep. And so there's this completeness. There's again the invo- invoking of baptism. Now for the demon, this is particularly tough because this is um, this is the marking. This is when this soul receive the indelible mark. So you're going way back in, in your history and saying, when I was sinless, when I was marked for Christ, 
when I was mm. consecrated to our Blessed Mother. This is the imagery that I'm putting forth. That's In the presence powerful. of all the heavenly courts. Yeah, that's powerful. Yeah. I just made that connection right now. It's kind of like good, the light of good. Christ's prayer. It's, it's kind of like the light of Christ's prayer, the th- same theology. <clears throat> you're you're yeah. going back to the moment when you were in, in a right relationship with God, and that's what you're projecting out in the cosmos, and that's what the demons are seeing, right? <clears throat> that's exactly what they're seeing. In the presence of all the heavenly court, I choose thee, O Mary, this day for my mother and mistress, knowing that I have received rights over all my external goods by the promulgation of the natural law by the divine author. Now you're telling the demon exactly who this stuff belongs to. This is not my stuff. This is not my stuff. I'm simply the steward. You want to talk to the owner, you want to, you want to mess with this, the, the owner, then let me tell you who that is. Um, that's our Lord and our Lady. I deliver and consecrate to thee. Now, the deliver language is extremely important because you have to let go of it. You have to let go of it. You have to absolutely let go of it, not just open your hand. You have to absolutely let go of it and say, I relinquish my my rights of disposition, which are now inferior to your actual ownership and your supreme rights of disposition. I deliver and consecrate to thee as thy slave all of my exterior goods, past, present, and future. This is very powerful, powerful language. This prayer is hard to pray. Mm. It is very hard to pray. You're willing to give up your house. You're willing Mm. to give up your pension, your home, your car, anything and everything. Wow. Because ultimately, it is our Lord and our Lady. It is their disposition. All rights over my exterior goods, including, now this first one, my health. You ready to do that? Hmm. Hmm. Jesse, yeah. you just went through you you just went through a very significant uh, oh, significant yeah. health issue. <laughs> yeah. And it it has an actual discernible cycle or geography or topography, if you will. You go to the depth, you go to the dark night of the senses, you go beyond what is pain, you go beyond what and you finally just say, Lord, do with me what you will. Yep. I hit that summer. Yep. I sure did. And so it's only when you are there that you really get the clarity of everything is theirs. Every single thing is theirs. Mm. Wow. And once and Health, once you finance. come to that real once you come to that realization. Uh, it's like you breathe a sigh of relief. You like say, wow. Absolutely. Could, yeah, you breathe a sigh of relief once you realize that, you know what? It, it it all belongs to our Lord and our Lady and stuff. What am I worried about? Exactly. And essentially you're saying to the demon, do with me what you will or what they'll allow. But ultimately, you know, I've read Job. This is the book of Job. This this is precisely, you had it, Um you get to a point, if you go through a health event like, like you did, Jesse, um, you really don't care what's in the garage. You don't care where you live. You don't care. <laughs> it all falls away. Yeah. You're right. It all falls away. I can relate to that. 
And so that's what's mm-hmm. happening here in this imagery, my, including my health, finances, relationships, possessions, property, my job, my earthly success. And I retain for myself no right of disposing the goods that come to me, but leave to thee the entire and full right of disposing of all that belongs to me without exception, according to thy good pleasure for the greater glory of God in time and in turn and eternity. And so exactly what's happening here is the breaking of attachment, because once the attachment is broken and there's the realization that all of this is um, is not mine. It is not of me. Um, I'm simply a steward. Ultimately, it is the master who who determines the disposition of any and all things. Once you get to that point, now you are a warrior monk. Now you are a warrior slave oh, who like exists. That. You exist totally for the pleasure of the master. And in that, you find fulfillment. It's not a breaking. It's not a destruction. It's a perfection. Yes. I see that. I. Uh, <clears throat> this is, uh, yeah, this is, again, like you said, what, what unlocked it for me. You said it's, 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 kind of, it's a Job-like prayer. And uh, again, when you, see, you read the final chapters of Job, it, it ends in victory. It ends in, you know, God is... Uh, uh, you know, returns to him everything that he took away. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I look at this like going into a gym. I mean, you go into a gym. Uh, there's a reason for that because you want to, you want to train for a per- particular event. And uh, this is to me, this is, this is a uh, UFC training at its finest ultimate faithful Catholic training. It is, it, it is. This is, um, you know, you, you find the guys too that uh, there's a point where in your career where you need every machine in the gym and you want every variation on the machine and you know you want the newest one and the best one and then at some point you're no longer in the gym you're splitting wood you're you're hauling fence <laughs> posts you're, you're turning right. tractor tires that's what this prayer does to you spiritually is, hey I don't need all of <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is good stuff. Good stuff. Hey, um, hey, my friend, uh, I hear the music. That, that's a wrap. We'll have to pick it up next time. Uh, you've been listening to Jess Romero, Kyla Clement, talking about uh, deliverance prayers for use by the lady. Uh, we hope you have a holy, happy, holy Christmas octave. And Kyle, thank you very much, my brother. We'll, uh, we'll see you real soon. God bless you and the family. Thank you, thank you Jesse.